You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. environment set up here. <laughs> um, this has been an interesting week. Uh, we had our, our leadership meeting this week, our prayer night this week, set in two elders this week. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful time, a wonderful meeting that we had gathering on Thursday. Um, in case you weren't here at the, when Chuck announced it, the middle part, or if you were online around the patio, we set in time Monica Beekman, which are right here. And Jen and Chris Swarbrick, and I'm, Jen was here. I'm scanning, scanning, scanning. Chris is at work right now, but he would love to be here if he could. He said he'd be watching from the inner tubes as long as he wasn't on a call. So um, that was really exciting. Uh, but when that happens, we bring someone apostolically from outside of, um, outside of the body. Apostolically, um, I was talking with somebody this week, and I they were mentioning to me, not a lot of people actually know what the word apostolic even means. Uh, it's the idea of translocal, being someone who is sent. So people that are not a part of our church that have been sent out, whether they planted other church or we actually sent them to different regions and then they come back in and they impart into our local church. And so we sent out Stephen Terry a year and a, almost a year and a half ago. And so we brought them back for this wonderful time to be able to set in two new eldership couples. Um, and so that was a wonderful time, but then we brought them in, and we're meeting with them, we're getting their input, and so the whole week was kind of shifted for me. And I like my schedule. I don't know about you. If you're that kind of person, you really like the schedule to stay the same. Um, you get into this routine, it works well for you. Um, that was all disrupted for me throughout this entire week. Everything was about two days off. And so with working on this and just putting it before God and what are we going to do, it was actually a lot harder than it normally is. And it was interesting wrestling through what, we're, what are we going to talk about today. And I wrestled and I pondered and I went over things and I settled on a topic and we're not talking about that this week. Because <laughs> I looked at it and I considered it and it's very important, um, but we're actually going to talk about it next week. This, this week's topic was next week's topic. Um, but I swapped them because I actually wanted to give a little bit of a heads up to parents because next week we're going to be going through Jesus' passage of the Sermon on the Mount having to do with lust. I want to give parents a heads up in that because it's impossible to talk about that within our context and our culture without hitting some topics that hit really close to home, can be uncomfortable, and we believe as an eldership that these sort of conversations need to originate in the home with your kids. So I want to give forewarning for those that normally have kids in the service. We will be talking about this next week. It's not going to be explicit, but it will be talked about as a heads up there. But today, we are talking about treasure. Um, we're talking about what God advised us having to do with treasure, with, to do with money, and the pursuit of money and possessions. Because treasure isn't just about the dollars, it's also about the stuff. And so this isn't going to be a message about giving, although you should be a giving person. This isn't going to be about tithing, which is different from giving, um, but you should tithe. We'll talk about those things at later times. This is going to be a message about our attitude towards treasure, our attitude towards the money, our attitude towards the stuff. 
So let's dig into what Jesus talked about on the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew 6. It's broken into three sections here. The first portion, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then we take a quick turn into the second section where it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I read this within context that that is so very odd to just insert in the middle there. So we're going to break down where that's coming from and how this applies to the rest of this. In the third section, he says, he gets really blunt. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's one of the most blunt statements Jesus says to us. Most of the time he talks in allegory. He talks in parables. He talks in a, a story that we need to chew on and dig into. He's so very clear and to the point here. You cannot serve God and money. We have to ask ourselves, when something goes out of the norm, when it's not someone's normal way of communication, when they're choosing to do it deliberately differently, why is that? There's some weight to this. There's something that he wants to make sure we're not given any wiggle room here. That we don't try to go off in different directions or give too much leeway. You cannot do both. And we're going to dig into that later as well. But we're going to begin with that first section when he's talking about treasures in heaven as opposed to treasures on this earth. And so that kind of comes in two, two varieties, whether it has to do with our coveting or it has to do with our greed. And those are actually two separate things. Coveting is the desire for someone else's things. And greed is just the desire for more. It's a never-ending idea of more. Not just for the sake of more. But coveting doesn't happen until you see what someone else might have. You didn't want it before, and then you saw it. And now you got to have it. Out of Deuteronomy 5, verse 21, this is when uh, the Ten Commandments were given to us. It says, And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And it's this cry to us to just stop looking at other people's stuff. Just be grateful for what we have and where we're at and what the Lord has blessed us in. Because if we spend all this time looking at what's not ours, it will rob you of the current joy you could be having. He says, don't, just don't do that. You've been given everything you need. It's not the same, but it's what you need. Out of Psalm 49, verse 16 through 20, it says this, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. 
It's saying, don't compare. Don't look at what they have. Don't get caught up in that. It's not going with them anyways. When they die, just like when you die, you're going to take the same things with you. And that's you. That's what you're taking. You're taking what you brought in. Nothing. Don't be so focused on that. And that's hard. That's terribly hard. It's so easy to get caught up in this, particularly in a culture of abundance, particularly in a culture of access to everything. You didn't, there's more stuff than you're ever, you ever even knew that was out there. In the last 20 years, that you've been shown. Amazon's like, look at all the stuff. And we've made it easy for you to buy it. One click, don't even think. Just, you want it. So easy. You drive down the road, there are signs everywhere of what will make your life better. And it works. They wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't working. The amount of money, I heard this statistic at one point, the amount of money that is spent on commercials just during the Super Bowl, because they know everyone's watching, could, I think it could feed the entire of the third world. Just on the commercials. That's not people buying the stuff. That's just the money spent on the commercials. The money spent on the advertising. And they're getting that money back because it's working. Because it's so easy to do that if we're not guarding ourselves against this. To see something and go, you know, I do want that. And it starts off small. It's something like on a hot day, you know? You hear that, you know, I do want a Coke. I really do. They have one and I want it. I really want it. I'm going to go get one. Oh, it's a hot summer day. You know what would be nice today? It would be nice to go up to the beach. You know, that would be wonderful. Yeah. And what would be great is if we had a boat on that beach. Maybe a ski-doo or two. Neighbor got a ski-doo. Looks so nice. They, they go out every weekend. Their kids come back. They have so much fun. They just collapse. Wouldn't that be great if we just came home and the kids collapsed and they were exhausted? Because all the fun we had because we had a ski-doo, but we don't. It's easy. It's easy to do. We have to guard ourselves against this. Guard ourselves about coveting. Guard ourselves about looking at other stuffs and finding the joy in where we're at and what we have and what God has given us. And then there's greed. Greed's different than coveting. Greed is this insatiable desire for more, this insatiable desire for something to fill the hole within that if I just get a little bit more, then I will be satisfied. Just a little bit more. If I just get... If, we're, if we finally get out of the two-in-one house, if we get into that three-in-two, then I'll be satisfied. You get the three-in-two. Well, what about when we want to have all, the whole family over for Thanksgiving? We've got to have the big living room. We've got to have the big table. We've got to have the space. We've got to have the playground outside for the grandkids. We really need, now we need a couple acres, maybe that three-in-two. Well, we could, we could squeeze a three-in-two, but as long as it's at least 2,500 square feet. And you get that big house, and mm, it's just not quite enough. We don't have enough parking for everybody, and there's always something more. There'll always be a desire for more. That's dealing with greed. And that's not always with the stuff, and it's not always with the house, and it's not always with what you're earning. This can have to do with what's coming at the end. And I'm going to strike a chord here, and I'm not meaning to be mean, but it just has to do with the parable that Jesus told us, is that how much time now are you living, or I should say, 
not living for the retirement that is to come. How much of this, this current life you're living are you sacrificing for a life you may live then? Out of Luke 12, 16 through 21, it says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, we have to remember this is a parable. It's not saying, hey, if you're focused on retirement, you will die before you enjoy it. It's not what this is saying. What it's saying is it's talking about our attitude towards our money, towards our things. If Where are we placing our faith? Are we living our whole life based on our plan and we can't feel comfortable. We've, we choose to not serve God because things aren't at that ultimate level of stability let, that we want. Or I have to work this, this, and this, so I couldn't possibly do that because I need this then. I need to accumulate this amount of wealth for then. And we have to find balance in this because this is talking about the attitude of our heart because there is nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a multitude of possessions. There's nothing wrong with it. But it, there is something wrong when it has you. When it consumes you. When you live for it. Mankind should have a plan for what's to come. We know that each and every one of us at some point won't be able to do the job we're going to do anymore. We should think ahead. Out of Proverbs 13.22, it says... A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You have to accumulate to be able to do that. So there's nothing wrong with doing that, but there's, it is wrong to live for it, to make every choice around it, to let it consume your thoughts, because then that just becomes greed, this idea for more and more and more. And if we live our entire life like that, and we think, once I'm retired, once I get to this point, then I will be this very giving, very generous, this person who lives their entire life for God at that point, but you've trained your entire life not to do that. What is the reality of what will come when that day arrives? Will it actually be what you're telling yourself, even though your entire life has lived differently, as opposed to living the life now, making the choice now, still making wise decisions, still planning for the future, still being a good steward of what God has graced you with, but letting the focus not be always driven on what I've got in my bank, what I've got in my retirement. It's an important, it should be an aspect of our planning. It shouldn't be what consumes us, though. It's an attitude of the heart. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble is wisdom. Is that the right? 11.28, not verse 2. That is not the verse. Like, that does not match up at all. No. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish 
like a green leaf. God is encouraging us to put our trust in him as our provider, our faith in the Lord. Because the reality that's, want, that's trying to be conveyed to here, when it says treasure on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, it's trying to shake us in this reality that it could all go away. We are one economic collapse away from the amount in our bank meaning very little. And if all of your faith was placed in that, then where are you at then? It's all gone. What are we going to do now? Is your life in your mind over? Because all the money is gone? Because all the stuff is gone? Or was your life based on something else? Was your life based on the direction that God led you? And so when all that stuff is gone, it's, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's sad. We're not going to... We're not going to discount that at all, but life goes on. And we continue on. We still build up. We still support. We still encourage. We still press into what God has called each and every one of us yeah. to. Yeah. But life didn't end because the stuff is gone. It's an attitude of the heart. Out of 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's this idea of what do you value while we're here? Do we value the stuff? Do we value the things? Do we value the adventures and experiences that, only, that we know only come if we can afford it? Or do we value that we are saved? That we are children of the living God. That we have been able to partner with him to move his kingdom forward? Do we value knowing that we have an eternal inheritance, that we will live forever with God? Do we value this? Does that shape our lives? Do we look ahead to what is coming, to what has been promised, to what cannot fade, what will not be taken away? What do we value? Are we seeking joy or are we seeking happiness? Because happiness is fleeting. There, I've heard a phrase that money cannot buy happiness, but it sure helps. 
We all know that the things money can buy are fun, are enjoyable, can bring some pleasure to your life, but it's always fleeting. It's never, it never continues forever. It always has an end to it. It's not something that lasts. There will always have to, you'd always have to fill that void with something else to continue that feeling. Whereas joy withstands all of that. Joy continues forward. Joy comes from the Lord. You can feel joy every single day without costing you anything simply by the relationship you have with God. Now we realize that money pays the bills. Money puts the roof over the head. Money puts food in the fridge. Money keeps everyone warm and clothed. There's a purpose for income. There's a purpose for the money we have. But as long as we keep continuing to look at it as a tool and not the ends, it's not the goal, it's the tool. I've considered many times, especially when the, the California lottery gets really, really big, what if, in this big what if time, what if we won the lottery? What could we do? And I think about my life, and I think about the things that are difficult, and most of the time I think we have this idea that if we won the lottery, somehow that would solve a lot of problems. But I considered the life I live in the state I am now, I'm going to tell you, no amount of money will make Henry sleep for four hours. <laughs> and I've met many people that no amount of money will restore their broken relationship with their family member or their friend. No amount of money will fix the dysfunction in your marriage. You might be able to mask it with some fun, but it will still be there. No amount of money will solve the major things in our lives. It will take care of the bills. It'll take care of some of the worry, sure. But then all you're left with is, well, you and the people around you, the things that money can't solve. You know what helps us through those things? Jesus. And so we have to have a shift in our attitude, a shift in our focus on what we value, what we spend our time on, what we seek after. And so that, that's actually where the section of the I comes into play. And this is an analogy of our inward being. When it talks about the eye being the lamp of the body, whether it's healthy or not, and it's full of light, if we were to look at that as a literal reading, it makes no sense, and it misses the point. But it was never meant to be a literal reading. If we look back at all the different, I took a sampling for you there, the different ways the eye is referenced, it's never about seeing. Psalm 36, transgression, breaks, or transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Psalm 119, my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 1 Samuel 15, 17, and Samuel said to him, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not head of the tribes of Israel? Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful, and just for this particular passage, that bountiful means good, pleasant, agreeable. Whoever has bountiful eye will be blessed. 
for he shares his bread with the poor. It's talking about a good inward being, who you are at your core. It's an analogy of who you are within. And within, will you be full of light? Will you be healthy inside? Or will you be full of darkness? Will it be bad within you? Out of Philippians 4.8, are we healthy? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Are we full of darkness? Mark 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And so this analogy of the eye, talking about our inward being, it's, not a, it's in one about our attitude, and it's also about what are you letting in? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you considering? Because if we look just at whatever the world wants to show you, coveting will be her hardest battle. Coveting and lust, which we're talking about next week. Because that's what the world is showing it's telling you, you need, you need, you need, you need, you need, and I've got the answer for you. And it will only cost $9.99 for 30 years. And I've got the solution to your problem that you didn't know you had until I showed it to you. Because you need it. So what are we bringing in? What are we consuming? What are we watching? What are we listening to that will allow us to be filled with good because we are a whole being when we're told we need to be perfect as our father is perfect that doesn't mean perfection that means complete you're a complete individual and if part of that's missing it affects everything else so if we are filled with god's righteousness and if we dwell on the good and the honorable and the just it affects how we view our world it affects our desires i consider just the I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal, hard rock and roll. And I'd listen to it going down to school as I was driving from up here down to Sacramento. I was going to Sac State, so that's a good hour with traffic, the busiest time. And I wanted to get pumped and I'm like, in the car. And I found when I got there, I was, but I was also angry. <laughs> because the music riled me up. And I wasn't angry at anything particular, but now I'm dealing with these emotions because I was what I was allowing in. Simply what I was listening to on the radio. What are we allowing in? What are we watching on TV? What, are we, what books are we reading? What podcasts are we listening to? There's so much. What are you allowing in? Is it things that are honorable, true, just, pure, lovely, commendable, are excellent, worthy of praise? Are we letting those things in? Are we allowing them to shape perception? Are we allowing them to build us up and to help us keep our focus? Or are we just letting whatever's there in? We're told out of 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, that we need to take every thought captive. Every thought. So when we find ourselves in this moment, and this is a 
practice. This is something you get better at over time. But when you realize you're having the thought, you're having the covetousness, you're having the greed, you're having whatever it is, this desire for more where it's starting to consume and starting to compare and you're having it, you take it captive and go, no, that is not good for me. Lord, help me in this moment. Release it. Put it aside. However you do that in your head, whether you're, I know some people, they'll change the channel. Some people just cast it aside. Whatever it is for you that works, when you present this before the Lord to help take it captive, help take it from me, Lord. Help me to not dwell on this any longer. And the last portion is the choice that God gives us. Because God is plain. He was very plain in this. You can serve me or you can serve money, but you will not be able to serve both. Out of Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 14, it says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve by his name, you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Now it looks different today than it did then. Well, there's not little idols on every corner anymore where it's actually a stone figure or something you're going to go bow down to. No, idolatry has shifted. It has changed. The things that we go and worship have become more intangible. Some of them more than others. But wealth is an idol. It is something that the culture around us worships. Wealth, beauty, and athleticism. Major idols of Western culture. And that's been around for thousands of years. And it's certainly not going away if anything's getting worse. I don't know. I wasn't alive 2,000 years ago to know how bad it was. But the people around us are chasing wealth. And it is fueled by a few different things. Things that are good, things that are help motivate, but can capture us if we let them. First of all, that's fueled by the American dream. Little white picket house, or not white, white house with a white picket fence. Two new cars in the driveway, happy, smiling family in the front door. The American dream. That American dream has become harder and harder to obtain over the years because the price of homes has increased exponentially compared to what the price of earnings are. And so people have chased after that dream more fervently and given up more of their lives to wealth to obtain it. Consumerism, we talked about a little earlier. The amount of messages going to you every single day telling you you need. You will not be happy if you don't have it. Joneses have it, look how happy they are. They look like they're having a lot of fun. They know never mind that they're arguing with each other every single night about how much debt they're in. God demands our loyalty to be to him and nothing else. Romans 12.2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We cannot be consumed by desire. I pulled up some statistics just to see where we are at in the world to help us with this. Because when all we have is those around us, we're going to compare there. So I looked up, and these are from 2021. The average, if they take the entire population of a country and they divide it by all the people, what's the average income? Number one is Monaco. Monaco, average income is $15,500 a month. That's $180,000 a year per person. 
We're nowhere near that. And so we might think, wow, we're, we don't have a whole lot. Switzerland is number three. They make about 7,500 a month. We are number seven, which shouldn't sound like a bad thing. 5,800 a month. Number 23 is the United Kingdom, which most of us would think of that as Britain. 3,700 a month. China is number 38 at just under 1,000 a month. India is number 59 at $181 a month. And Afghanistan is number 67 at $42 a month. Now we might consider, well, there just things are less expensive. They're not that less expensive. That $181 a month is going to pay for the same life we have here. We have to consider how very blessed we are. And we're comparing ourselves to some of the wealthiest people on the planet. And it's not to be condemning, it's more of a realization of we have it so good. We have it so good here. It's a calling to just be appreciative for where we are. The wondrous place that God has put us in. A recent Gallup poll survey revealed that the average work week for U.S. full-time employees consists of 47 hours. That almost adds up to an extra full day of work every week. 11% of those surveyed worked 41 to 49 hours. 21% put in 50 to 59 hours every week. And a whole 18% work 60 or more hours. 60 hours a week is six 10-hour days. Now, consider your life. And now, most people, they shift on how much sleep they need. Some people need six hours. Some people need eight. A very few, like my lovely wife, would love to have ten. So let's say the average is eight. That's a third of your life is spent sleeping. And then most of us would say we'd probably spend an eight-hour work week with our eight-hour work day. Eight-hour work week. No. Work day would be the ideal. That's another third of your life already. The other third is going to and from work and time taking care of your home and spending with your family and friends. That's the 40-hour work week. The 60-hour work week, there's even less time. You only had a third of your time before for family, friends, and home. And every time we spend more time working, that little piece of the pie gets smaller and smaller and smaller. This pursuit of wealth doesn't just affect you inwardly and push you away from God. It pushes you away from your life here. Since 1950, the average productivity per American worker has increased 400%. That is incredible. We have an extremely hardworking nation. But why has it increased by 400%? However, during approximately the same period, real wages adjusted for inflation, cost of living have remained stagnant, the same. You have the same buying power now you did then. You could buy just as many, you're working 400% more, you can buy just as many loaves of bread. You can buy the same size house. This means we need to work about 11 hours extra every week just to keep up with what we were earning in 1950. I considered what does that say? What does that say about us as a culture that we are willing to work longer 
and harder to maintain the same. Is that we're at a point where we cannot give up our standard of living. We cannot, we've decided we cannot live on less than what we have. So we'll work more to keep it. We'll sacrifice more of our life here. We'll sacrifice living to keep the stuff. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and I encourage you to do this, the preacher, um, we attribute this to Solomon, but it always says the preacher, tells us, I've lived and done everything. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is what... our joy in life is. Don't chase after these things. It's all vanity. It won't fulfill. It won't make you complete. God has given you a wonderful life and a beautiful world to enjoy with people in it. And you don't need a lot to do that. And of 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, is a word that we need to own deep within our being, but godliness with contentment. Contentment is the word. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, those basic things, we know we need them. We talked about several weeks that if we as a body are all following Christ and following his words and supporting and loving each other, these should, things should be taken care of. With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We need to seek contentment with what God has given us. Contentment with our lives. Contentment with enjoying the people around us and just the beauty of a warm meal and a cold beverage with good family and friends. It could be a hot beverage either way. But enjoying the simple things and realizing there's so much joy that can come of that rather than the fleeting things of happiness that money provides. So if you would agree with me as I pray, Lord, would you help us? Would you help each and every one of us to keep our eyes on you and off the things of this world? Would you help teach us and guide us to enjoy the simple things in life that you've provided, to enjoy the people around us, to be content with the life you've given us, Lord. Would you be with us each and every day? Amen.